Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. I've been talking about LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, history.com. You've heard about it several times in the introduction of this podcast. So get on out to LearnTrueHistory.com to get history the way it was intended to be told with no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. But not only that, I've got my new How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, my forthcoming book. So I want you to go to LearnTrueHistory.com to sign up for that great program. But also, if you go to BlameHamilton.com, you can get in on some giveaways for my forthcoming book. So two websites for you, LearnTrueHistory.com and BlameHamilton.com. Get in on both of those things. LearnTrueHistory.com is the place to go to learn history the way it was intended to be told. BlameHamilton.com is where you learn about how Alexander Hamilton was the greatest villain in American history. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. Before we get started, usual housekeeping. If you do like this podcast, please share it around on social media. And you can find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook at Brian McClanahan. You can find me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. And you can subscribe to my YouTube page. Again, just search for Brian McClanahan. Of course, all of those social media buttons are available on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. If you go there, you can go to the top of the page and find all of my social media buttons. Plus, you can give me an email address. And I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook, Forgotten Founders, read by yours truly. Also on Brian McClanahan, you can go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support, and you can help throw a few pennies my way, help keep the podcast going, the lights on, all those kind of things. Also, if you do like this podcast, please go on out to iTunes and review the podcast. That does help get people interested. And don't forget, uh, you've got. Less than two weeks now. This this uh, podcast is uh, airing uh, September seventh. You've got less. You've got eleven days when this podcast comes out. Eleven days to go out and get in on the giveaways for how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America. Just go to blamehamilton.com. Send me a screenshot of your pre-order. You pre-order one book, I'll give you the ebook, the Jeffersonian Solution. You pre-order two or more, I'll give you the ebook and a six-lecture course on Alexander Hamilton. But you can only do that until September 18th, the day of the book release. So you've got till midnight on the 17th. Once the 18th gets here, it's over. Right? It's over. So also, if you do pre-order the book and you send me that screenshot, uh, I will put you in the drawing for a master level membership to libertyclassroom.com. So you can't beat that. And if you already are a master level membership, just want to remind you, don't don't worry. Go ahead and pre-order the book because if you are a master level member and you and you win the grand prize, I'll send you an Amazon gift card instead. Or if you are a master level member and you win the second or third place prize, I'll still send you an Amazon gift card. So all the details are at blamehamilton.com. Go on out there and get in on that stuff while you can because very shortly... All of that stuff will end. So uh, please uh, help support the show, share it around social media, and get in on those giveaways, and also leave that review on iTunes. Okay, this is actually a user-generated episode, and I do like to do these. And so I had somebody send me an email. In fact, um, I won't say his name. don't want to make him infamous. Uh, but uh, he sent me an email um, in early September, and he said, quote, Hello, this podcast suggestion may mess with your book 
of the nine presidents. Was George Washington really the first president? Doesn't it need a lot of qualifiers added? Dr. George Grant posted this video about it, and he sends me the YouTube link. I think nationalists would poo-poo this more than you would since they view the USA as the first nation on this continent, but it would more accurately be USA 2.0 or 3.0. Maybe you could unpack this. Since Dr. Grant's video is short, maybe you could play and review it piece by piece. So this is, a, this is an argument that's been made several times. Uh, this isn't the first time that I've seen this. And uh, essentially, Dr. Grant is making a speech where, or a talk where he says, you know, I, I've studied a lot of history. It's a five, little five-minute video. I've studied a lot of history, and I thought I knew something about history. And then I discovered that George Washington wasn't really the first president of the United States. In fact, we had a number of presidents before George Washington. And what he does is he goes out and he starts listing these presidents. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a second here. Who, who are these guys? It's a very simple argument. Essentially what he's saying is that we had several, several uh, other United States before the United States under the Constitution. And not only that, we had presidents under the Articles of Confederation. That's when we had presidents. So all of the men who served as the presiding officer of Congress in that period of time between the meeting of the Second Continental Congress and the creation of the Constitution and then the ratification of that in the first Congress there, all of those people that presided over Congress were presidents of the United States. And so there are, I believe, 16 of them that served in this capacity, some longer than others, but they're all effectively presidents of the United States. And so George Washington was not the first president of the United States. He would have been the 17th president of the United States, I think is you know, how the argument goes. And that that was the third nation on the continent. So let me look at a couple of those points. We'll start with that last point, that the United States government, under the Constitution, created a nation, the third nation, on this continent. First and foremost, as I've addressed, I don't know if I've addressed it on this podcast, but I know I've written uh, several things about it. Saying the United States are a nation is incorrect. We didn't establish a national government at any time in American history. At any time, whether it was under the Continental Congress, the Articles of Confederation, or the United States Constitution, there is no national government. In fact, if you listen to the last podcast, uh, I get into that point. And the nationalists were defeated at the Philadelphia Convention. There were nationalists there. James Wilson of Pennsylvania was a nationalist. Governor Morris of, of uh, Pennsylvania was a nationalist. Alexander Hamilton of New York was a nationalist. James Madison of Virginia was a nationalist. There were nationalists in Philadelphia, but they lost. They lost. And this is where Hamilton gets up in June of 1787. He makes a very famous speech where he says, uh, hey, what we really need is a king, senators for life. We need to make the states corporations of the central, central authority. They have corporate powers only. And of course, when you're saying that, 
you're basically saying that the states become the creatures or the creations of the central authority. You're reducing them to the same status as a county. Corporate powers. That's all they have. And of course, a state can abolish a county or even a city. They can revoke the incorporation of those things. So when Hamilton made that point, he's taking the nationalist perspective on the Constitution, or on the proposed Constitution, that it needs to do these things because that's what the nationalists wanted. I mean, you look at James Madison's Virginia plan, it essentially abolished the borders of the states uh, by creating a national government. Everything was based on the size of the states. And so uh, that was rejected. The Senate clearly showed that the state still had all the power in this government because the state legislatures chose the United States Senate, and every state had two senators. And, of course, the Senate is the most powerful part of the legislative branch. Why? Because they can block anything that comes through the House of Representatives, and not only that, they can block the powers of the executive branch. So the states had all the power in this new government. And it was argued that if the states decided they didn't want to send senators, they could, they could force the whole thing to cease operation. They could just withhold their senators. If enough states did that, there's no quorum, and therefore you can't get anything passed. The executive branch can't do anything. The Congress can't do anything. Nothing will happen. The government shuts down. No sense in even being there. There's no government. That was the entire argument. Now, whether that would actually happen, whether the government were shut down or not, we would just, I mean, we have this now. Uh, the government continues in operation even when the Senate's not in session. Uh, and I guess you could say, I mean, the government would shut down if they don't pass any bills. There's no funding, so everything just shuts down. So the states had all the power, so we really didn't have a nation. A national government would imply that we have a central, consolidated government, that all the power's in the center. So first, to say that somehow we have a nation in the United States is completely incorrect. And culturally, we've never had that either. Uh, a nation is a people of uh, similar uh, backgrounds, religion, language, customs, histories. You can see very clearly, even from the uh, 17th century, we didn't have a nation sitting here in North America. We had uh, many nations within the British Empire, essentially, as British subjects. But I can guarantee you, the Puritans were profoundly different than the Cavaliers. In fact, they hated each other so much they fought a civil war in England in the 1640s. So uh, they were not one people, so to speak. They were different culturally. Now, they might have had the same language to, a, to an extent, though even the idioms they used and other things were different. And we still see this today between North and South. So we don't really have a nation in the United States. We have a union of states or a union of the people of the states, but states being primary. So we need to dispel that myth. The United States are not a nation. They have never been a nation. We've never had nation 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. We've never had that. Uh, we have a federal republic, a federation of states. 
not a national government. All right, so let's now that we've gotten that out of the way, and and I think what what he's trying to say here is that we had this national government under the, under the Continental Congress. Well, we didn't have that. The Continental Congress, these as John Adams said, these people are ambassadors from the states, and they couldn't do anything without the authority from the states. Even when they uh, voted on things in the Continental Congress, they had to have the instructions from their states to do so. And they were only binding insofar as the states would agree to it. You know, this is where very famously, you know, Richard Henry Lee uh, uh, makes the uh, proposal for a, a Declaration of Independence. And then he goes back to Virginia and he works on it there. He works on a, on a constitution for Virginia. He works on a separate uh, independence uh, Declaration of Independence for the state of Virginia. And Jefferson's left behind in Philadelphia to write this other thing. He's kind of ticked about that because, you know, he wanted to be back in Virginia. That was where the action was, not there in Philadelphia. We've come to deify that declaration. But, of course, the last paragraph, or next to last paragraph, however you want to look at it, last main paragraph in the, in the uh, document, establishes the free and independent states of, of the United States. State being uh, the same as the state of Great Britain. Now, the Articles of Confederation did not establish a nation, nor did the United States Constitution. It established a union of states. As it clearly says, the style of which, if you've ever read the text of the Articles of Confederation, it says the style of which shall be the United States of America. Establishes a confederation, the style of which shall be this. A confederation, a federal republic. Federal and confederal mean the same thing. There's no difference. I mean, this is where people say, well, one says confederation, and one says, one says a federal, and one's a federal government. Um, they're the same thing. Where it says in the preamble to the U.S. Constitution to create a, to form a more perfect union, form a more perfect union, a union of what? A union of atoms? Uh, a marriage? What kind of union are we talking about here? Well, the same union that we had under the Articles of Confederation, a union of states. It's the same union. But they're strengthening the center by giving it more powers. And one of the things that they did was create an executive branch. So here's where you get into the argument. You know, we, had, we already had presidents of the United States. We had uh, 16 presidents of the United States before we had George Washington. This is a false statement. Now, I'm not taking this position as a nationalist. I'm taking it as from what the Articles of Confederation said. There is no executive power in the Articles of Confederation. It does not exist. So it will be like saying, if we say, okay, the President of the United States under the Articles of Confederation would be essentially the same power as the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the presiding officer of Congress. That person is not the President of the United States. Now, we could say, well, they are, you know, they're third in line to be President, but they would then assume the executive branch at that point. They're not President of the United States. And these particular individuals that presided over Congress we're not president of the United States. The only time you can find the term executive or execute 
in the text of the Articles of Confederation is when they are talking about the executives of the states. So let me explain. This is where you get into how there was no executive branch. This is why when it was proposed in Philadelphia in, uh, in 1787, the convention sat in stunned silence. Wait a second here. You're saying we're going to have an executive again? We didn't have that. Now, the states had executives, and the Articles of Confederation recognized that. Because what would happen is these states would send delegates, or as John Adams says, ambassadors, to the central government. They could send between two and seven under the Articles, as few as two, as, as many as seven. And then what they would do is meet and they would pass resolutions. They would pass resolutions, not laws. They would pass resolutions. And it's very clear in the articles that when the Congress passes resolutions, the only entity that can execute these resolutions are the states themselves because it says the legislatures or executive of the states have to put these things into effect. So there's no executive power in the Articles of Confederation. That would, that would be a president, right? So you can say, I mean, semantics, you can say, oh, this person was the president of the Congress, but they had no executive power. So the first president of the United States is the first person to hold the office of executive of the United States government, and that would be George Washington. And when they're framing the executive branch, and so you can say, this is going to mess with my book, it doesn't mess with my book at all. It actually proves a few things about my book. When they were framing the executive branch, there were very there were a tremendous number of arguments against the possibility this could create a king because they had already had a king and they didn't want another king. In fact, Hamilton's Federalist 69 gets into that and saying these are the things the king can do, these are the things the president can do. And you can see the president has ext extremely limited powers compared to the king of Great Britain. Now, of course, we know that's not what Hamilton really wanted, and when Hamilton becomes Secretary of Treasury, he thinks of himself as Prime Minister of the government, and he wants to do all kinds of things that you know the president couldn't do. We know, though, that the president's power was extremely limited, that they were going to have an executive to execute the laws of Congress. It had a limited veto. didn't have an absolute veto, and as George Washington said, that veto was only supposed to be used if the laws were unconstitutional. They violated the Constitution. His oath is to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. So we didn't have a we didn't have an executive before we had the president of the United States. It didn't exist. We had presiding officers of Congress, but they couldn't do anything. This is the point that Abel Upshur makes in uh, his takedown of Joseph's story, he said, you know, we had, a con we had a Congress. That's true. We did. We had a Congress. But again, these, things, these guys were passing resolutions, not laws. They weren't binding on anybody. And we see that all throughout the American War for Independence. The states could just simply refuse to comply with the demand from Congress and say, nah, we're not going to do that. Sorry, Congress. Uh, we, we, now, they did comply most of the time, but they, they didn't have to because there's no executive power. You can't execute a law. If you can't execute a law and you have to rely on the state legislatures or the executive of the states to do that, there's no executive power, meaning there's no president of the United States. 
to say you're, it's a compulsory operation. You're going to do this. Now, there's also a point to make about that term compulsory. Governor Morris actually brought this up. In a national government, obedience is compulsory. Even under the Constitution, Governor Morris said, well, it's not really compulsory. I mean, we still have a, we still have a federal republic, essentially, confederation. We still have that. Uh, so it's not necessarily compulsory, though they did give the central authority the ability to do certain things, and the states, again, as I mentioned in the last podcast, could not do certain things. That made it to where this new general government had the authority and the states did not have the authority to essentially conduct commerce between the states and with international powers and wage war. Those are the only things the states couldn't do. Everything else they they had to do or must do because the general government couldn't do them. So when the president executes the laws of Congress, he's only supposed to be executing certain laws, and essentially that was for commerce and defense. That was it. And, of course, acting as head of state. There was, <laughs> the president, that's one of the most important responsibilities of the executive branch, is head of state, to receive ambassadors, as Article 2 says. The presiding officer of Congress didn't really do that. I mean, you had, you had states that could make trees with foreign powers on their own. So the governors of these states had more power than the presiding officer of Congress. This is why there are prohibitions on that in Article 1, Section 10. So the states didn't go out and say, you know, I'm going to have a treaty with Great Britain on my own. I'm going to go out and have a treaty with France. Uh, John Hancock gets out there in Massachusetts and says, you know what? We like you, Great Britain. We're going to be your friend. Forget about South Carolina. They stink. Uh, they're going to be aligned with France, uh, and we're going to be aligned with you. It was to have one common voice when it came to a treaty, to the treaty-making process, and not to have the states doing all kinds of other things uh, within this union. Now, if they're not in the union, they can do what they want. Okay, remember, as I talked about in the last podcast, that the states accede to it, and it's it's not a it's not restricted by Article One, Section Ten, meaning they can do it, meaning they can withdraw from that union if they choose to do so. They can secede since they acceded. And I think that's a very important designation to make, a distinction to make, when you start talking about this Constitution. So we didn't have 16 presidents of the United States, and no offense to, to Dr. Grant, he just, he, he doesn't really understand the nuance of that. In order, in order to have the, the president of the United States required executive power, we didn't have executive power until we created the executive branch. Now, we had executive power in the states. Every state had a governor, which had executive power. They could execute laws. There was nothing in that Articles of Confederation, nothing that allowed that government to force the states to do anything. Nothing. This is where you get the supremacy clause of the Constitution. Now, again, the uh, yeah, anything, any constitutional law is supreme. Anything that's unconstitutional is not. That's how it was sold to the states as well. If the law is made in pursuance of the Constitution, then it's supreme. And as we can see, there's very little that's uh, constitutional in terms of the powers of Congress. They have limited powers. Uh, but that's what the Supremacy Clause means. And, of course, it also includes treaties because you had a situation where you didn't want the states out there doing things that would work against the wishes of the entire union. 
So those treaties are also supreme. But uh, this, is, this is where I think we have people that are trying to be too cute at times with this. Well, I mean, you know, we've got... Uh, We've got. I, look, I firmly, firmly agree that the, the Articles of Confederation is the forgotten Constitution. We already had the United States before we had the U.S. Constitution. The Constitution for the United States is how we should actually describe that document. We already had the 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 U.S. Uh, before that, the Union of States, the Federal Republic. It already existed. I agree, 100 percent. Now we didn't have the Union until we created the Articles of Confederation. We had 13 independent republics. In North America, they acted as such. Benjamin Franklin made this clear in 1754 when he said, oh, we can't have a union here because all these colonies don't like each other and they're never going to agree to a union. This is where he made that very famous political cartoon with the snake and it was all chopped up. He was, he was emphasizing we didn't have a union. We had 13 independent republics running around here, essentially, uh, 13 independent colonies. And this is how the British looked at it. In fact, they complained about this too much. These colonies have too much power. They're too independent. So when someone like, again, like Joseph Story says, well, the Union predated the, the, the states. We had the Union first. No, we didn't. We didn't have any Union until we had the Articles of Confederation. The, the colonies and then states were acting in common cause against the British, but they weren't unified on anything else. Not even close. And so we get the Articles of Confederation, which affirms exactly what kind of union we had when we got it, uh, which was a union of independent states. They say so. And, of course, the union did not change in 1788 when the Constitution was ratified. It was more perfect, a more perfect union, because the center had a little more power and we created a judicial branch, which we did not have. I mean, it's like saying that we had a Supreme Court. Here's, here's the argument against this. To say that we had a president is like saying we had a Supreme Court under the Articles of Confederation because the Congress then presided over disputes between the states, and so therefore that's exactly what the Supreme Court was supposed to do. So we had judges. Every member of Congress was a judge then. We had a Supreme Court of 13 republics. We already had a Supreme Court. This is this is where the argument, I mean, we, we just don't have it. So, no, again, no offense to Dr. Grant. I've seen this several times uh, from people saying, well, we already had a you know, president of the United States before George Washington. Again, they're just trying to get too cute with, with language. You have to look at powers. You can't look at there was presiding officer of Congress. That presiding officer of Congress had no power. No power whatsoever. Again, go back to the Philadelphia Convention. Look at what was said when the president was proposed, when the executive branch was proposed, and read how it was described that the convention sat in shocked silence at that point. Oh my gosh, are we really going to create an executive branch? Are we really going to have someone that can execute laws? Are we going to have someone that has the powers that the king of Great Britain had, because we don't have that now, except in our states. And we don't need, we don't need another president. We don't need another executive. That, that is just unnecessary. It's not essential to the operation of this government. We don't need it. So sitting in shock silence shows clearly the founding generation didn't believe they had a president of the United States at all. 
until we got to George Washington. That would be the first president of the United States. It's the first time we had an executive over the Union of States. Or executive as part of the Union of States, I should say, not necessarily over them, as part of the Union of States. We had executives. There was an executive of Pennsylvania, executive of Virginia, executive of Massachusetts, executive of New York. We had those things. In fact, these people were very powerful. It's one of the arguments against the articles. It's, you know, James Madison didn't like Patrick Henry because he had too much power. James Madison didn't like George Clinton because he had too much power, or John Hancock because they had too much power. Because they could derail anything that the Articles of Confederation wanted to do because they had to execute the laws. The states did, not the general government. And I think that's um, you know, where we can look at this, this argument that there was a president. It just, it just falls apart under its own weight. So uh, you can say there were presiding officers of Congress. There were presiding officers of Congress, and uh, that person... Uh, would manage the affairs of the of the general government and the Congress assembled. They would control the uh, the inner workings of the Congress and what kind of things were proposed and uh, how the bills moved through and things of that nature to control debate. But they had no executive authority. Again, go back and read the Articles of Confederation. Look for the term execute or executive, and you find that the only place you're going to find it is uh, when they start talking about the state legislatures and the executive branch uh, of each state. Because they're the ones that had to put these laws or resolutions, as Abel Upshur very accurately portrayed them, into effect. We did not have laws coming from Congress. We had resolutions, just like you would have a UN resolution. It's non-binding. Until the separate entities put it into effect, it's non-binding. We don't have, uh, when the United Nations passes a resolution, the United States doesn't have to agree to it, doesn't have to follow it at all. Nor does Great Britain or Russia or, you know, Ghana or take your pick, uh, you know, Australia, uh, North Korea. I mean, you know, these, these separate entities don't have to agree to it and don't have to do anything that the United Nations says, just like the states didn't have to do it uh, in uh, 17... 86, they didn't have to at all, which is why people wanted a stronger central authority with the ability to execute the laws of Congress and to make certain laws or treaties supreme. Because uh, when they didn't have that, that language in there, these things were just simply resolutions without any teeth or any power. So I hope, you, I hope this answered the question. Did we have presidents before? No, we did not. Not at any time. Did we have a president of the United States before we had a president under the Constitution and the creation of the executive branch, Article 2 of the Constitution? I'll see you next time on The Brian McClain.